In this episode, I have Willie Smith, Chris Nowak, and Jordan Christensen on the podcast. We are at New Mexico Elk Camp. We start the podcast with reliving Willie's elk hunt from that night, and then each one of us dives into some elk hunting tips and tactics that we prefer to use the most. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford professional archer hey everyone i'm christy titus and you are listening to archery maniac we cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories tips and tactics gear reviews and more that that helped my tuning game so much when i made sure that all my arrows were square i'm staring into his eyes blood's dripping off of its tines mud is everywhere the clarity these mavens offer is amazing I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock, you know, just laying there. <laughs> Belly crawling in there, and I can barely fit in there, and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him, and we just ran at this elephant. Quick disclaimer, even though you may think that it does not rain in New Mexico, quite the contrary on this trip. There were several evenings, including this one when we did the podcast, that it literally rained so hard that the water was running by our feet and the little canopy that we were standing under was doing its best to keep us dry. So with that, I apologize for all the rain and wind and the background noise, as well as some of the cussing and things like that. We were just having a good time. I tried to remove some of that background noise and it distorted the voices and made them just very unenjoyable to listen to. About 10 or 12 minutes into the podcast, we actually started handing the microphone around to help kind of clear up some of the background noise and then the rain and wind kind of subsided. So just hang in there for the first part of the podcast and trust me, the audio gets better. Once again, I apologize for the less than perfect audio quality, but I can tell you that this podcast is one of my favorites and the content in it more than makes up for the bad audio. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks guys for tuning into the podcast. We are in the middle of the rain in lovely New Mexico. At least it's not hotter than Satan's balls. And we had, we had, you know, I think Willie shot slightly over average raghorn tonight. And uh, it's just, it's incredible. But we have all kinds of stuff that I would like to dive into and cover coming, you know, just how the bulls work and everything like that. So I got three other guys here with me. They're going to introduce themselves. And then we're just going to BS and relive the relive the shot, the story, and the calling sequence that got him in there. So whoever wants to go first, go ahead. <laughs> Lots of finger pointing. Lots of finger pointing. I'll go first, I guess. Uh, Willie Schmidt, avid elk hunter, host of Pure Hunting TV. Thanks for having me on again, Zach. Oh, absolutely. Thanks Thanks for having me here. <laughs> you bet. I'm uh, Chris Nowak. I'm co-host of uh, Pure Hunting TV. And I've been hunting with Zach for the last two years. And I'm uh, Jordan Christensen uh, uh, from The Draw, lead consultant, uh, world's okayest hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone needs any type of consulting, where to put in, what type of outfitter, make sure to check out uh, We Are The Draw or TheDraw.com uh, for Jordan. He is... He knows his stuff, and hopefully you guys can hear us all right. The rain is its coming down, but, uh, yeah, Jordan Jordan and his team do a really good job. But 
anyway, so we're here, we're elk hunting. And uh, we're in a unit where they're like, you might see an elk in 14 days. Un elk, an you know, elk. an elk. So we're thinking, I guess we're just gonna cover a lot of country. I, I guys, I mean, what else September. do you do? Like, they gotta make noise somewhere, right. sometime. Right. Yep. At some point, something is gonna make noise. And uh, so, anyways, we parked at this spot where we walked what eight, ten miles this morning. Eight. Eight. Eight miles. Eight yep. miles, and. Uh, for anyone that hasn't walked eight miles out in the desert, it's different than walking eight miles in the high country, obviously. But you just feel like you go and go and go and nothing changes. <laughs> right. Especially when you haven't seen an elk track. You no track. A bugle. It rained last night, so there's like everything's just clean. And there's no tracks, there's no there's no sign. We didn't see any droppings for eight miles. Like nothing. And when we say rain, we don't just mean, you know, a little drizzle. We were literally standing in a couple inches of rain. There was so much rain. Under the, <laughs> under the canopy. Under, under the, canopy. the canopy. There was so much rain, we were standing in inches. If this keeps up, we'll be right there again. Yeah. <laughs> we're starting to pull up right outside here. Yep. So, so I, let me back up a little bit. I think the reason that we're here yeah. is uh, Chris has been in a hog lease in Texas with a guy by the name of David Camps and uh, been friends for what, eight to ten years, something like that? And Dave lives in Albuquerque and has hunted this unit for the last ten years and has told Chris for years, you need to put in for it. They're, it's not a high density of elk, it's a low density, very honest, but the chance of killing a 350 plus bull is high. you got to put your time in and do that type of thing. And uh, Chris and I have worked with Jordan with his previous employer and now as the draw. And we drew as a group this year. There's only three non-resident tags for the early season. We're two of them. And uh, based on what happened today, that's the only elk we've seen. And he was a nice elk. <laughs> yeah, nice call. But, but that's why we're here. And uh, now we've got six more days to try to kill another one. Yeah, because yeah, Chris, Chris also has a tag. But I, I mean, coming from, I grew up in Bags, Wyoming, and it, and it's similar, all the, you know, the cedar trees and stuff like that, it's very similar, but, man, Chris and I, they're, they're like, well, let's split up, we get out the truck, walk up this hill, why don't we split up so we can blast more country? It makes perfect sense, because that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to cover country, and, uh, well, either Jordan or Willie can take it from there because we apparently didn't know the phone was ringing or the service got lost or something, but shortly after, the monster was spotted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, like we said, we did some setups this morning on this eight-mile jaunt and, and uh, didn't hear a peep. And so Chris and Zach headed up one knob, but they hadn't been gone from Jordan and me for... Five minutes. Less than five minutes. Less yep. than five minutes. Working up to another knob that probably was a quarter mile away. And as we left each other, I said, Chris, you've got to keep your phone on. Zach didn't have service. He's got AT&T. Verizon works up here. I said, Chris, you've got to keep your phone on handy because we don't know what, when something's going to happen. And you may text me and say something's going to happen. I let a locator bugle, and the thing responded in three to five seconds. 
and it took us 15 minutes to get a hold of Chris to make him turn around and come back. Right. <laughs> I called him, I'm like, get over here now. <laughs> and like hung up the phone. Right? Then, I'm trying to watch this ball. Get over here now. And then he looks at me and he's like, that was them. They said get over there now. <laughs> and we have shit spread everywhere across the ring. We had just started glassing. He literally just clipped his freaking mind and was onto his tripod. Holy crap, the monster. Oh, we're down on the ground. <laughs> Test one, two. That was the win. <laughs> Is it going to be able to pick up our guys? I don't know. It'll be interesting. All right. Do you want two. us to pass it around? That might be a good idea. Uh, See, the nice thing is that that poor bull doesn't have to stay another night in a race. That's right when he the last thought through his head is like, at least I don't have to stand in the rain tonight. <laughs> 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 Getting black. <laughs> Lights are going out. <laughs> All right, well, the wind and the rain blew the recorder off of the stand, which is, you know, that's how usually I do stuff. So anyways, so Chris and I, we literally had everything spread out, and we get this call, and Chris is like, they said we need to get over there right now. And uh, we get over there, and they had one glassed out, Willie and Jordan did, and uh, we put together a plan, ended up circling around, getting the wind right, which is obviously important to any, any stock. And then uh, Willie and I moved in closer, and then Chris, kind of like Jesus takes the wheel, Chris took the wheel. And uh, we're gonna let Chris do some talking and just let you, kind of walk you guys through what he did and why he did what he did because the calling sequence was over an hour and the bull was hung up. And what Chris in, did ended up getting the bull to finally, after about an hour, come up and, uh, and see what's going on. So, so yeah, Chris, why don't you just let everybody know? <laughs> so, well, anyway, uh, when we got over in position above the bull and Jordan's like, okay, let's do a setup here. And Willie and I had a discussion that the initial reaction from the bull was a bugle. So we were gonna stick with bugles and mix in a few cow calls because that's what got him bugling. So anyway, we started off with uh, bugling. He immediately responded, mixed in with a few minor cow calls, but uh, he it just wasn't coming in. He was not hanging up. He just, he, from where he initially bugled, he just stood there. And I would go back with a bugle. We were going back and forth with bugles, chuckles, you know, and I wanted it to sound like a, a bigger bull, not bigger than him, but at least a big bull uh, to elicit that confrontation. And uh, after about 15, 20 minutes, realizing he wasn't moving and he was not going to come into a, bu uh, a bugle, uh, at least not an aggressive bugle. 
So then I uh, started just then with cow calls and uh, did not bugle anymore. And after uh, another ten minutes, yeah, another ten minutes of cow calling, you know, noticed that he was responding but really not coming. And all of a sudden, he popped out in this clearing and realized that he could see exactly from where I was calling from. He was probably at that point 100 yards away. And I knew I had to get it. We had two decoys. I had one and Willie had one. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, we need a decoy because now he's looking exactly at the spot where the calls are coming from and he sees nothing. And so I got my decoy out, set it up, called a little bit, and then uh, went over to Willie's backpack, which was about 20 yards up the little hill there, and uh, got his decoy out, which was a, a larger decoy. And then I moved down the slope to where I could get a visual on the bull again and to ensure that the bull could see the decoy. And then I, of course, started the um, estrus whines, a very rapid estrus type of call, and, and, and he responded to it. But again, he just was, uh, after another 10 minutes, he just was just hanging there. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't, he was raking, raking the a, hell out of a tree. Raking the heck out of a brush. And, but just not coming because <laughs> what he was doing was he was looking up the mountain and seeing the decoy. And he's like, hey, girl, I'm right here. I'm not coming up to you. Come down to me. And he was just looking at the decoy going, well, I'm right here. Get over here. And so at that point, I realized that he was not going to come to the decoy and that I had to play the game of now the cow is leaving. So I moved up the mountain about 100 yards and got to the ridge top and then got silent. I gave a few cow calls and then went silent for like 10 minutes. And to give the impression that that cow now has left the county. And that is what I think Anish now finally brought him up where he finally realized, holy cow, that cow's not coming down to me. She's moving away and now I don't know where she is. And I gave a couple little cow calls on top of the ridge, actually calling the opposite direction and not calling very loud. And that finally brought him up the mountain uh, past Willie because now he realized that that cow was not going to come to him and that she was leaving and moving up the slope. So, and that's what finally got him to come up the mountain more. Well, and I think one thing that the both of you guys were doing up there is, because Willie and I could hear it, is the rocks and the sticks and all that stuff that adds to the realism of calling. Because, you know, anyone can stand up there, ew, 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 ew. But until you add the decoy and you add the movement and you add the other noises, it's it just adds to all the stuff that's going to help you fool that elk. And I mean, I could hear, I hear this rock go, I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, oh, duh, yeah, they're, they're doing it, <laughs> you know? But what about you, Jordan? I mean, you had, what did you say about the, any elk that you, that wants to come in, you can, however you said that. Yeah, I said, uh, I said, I've called in every bull that wanted to come in, and I've never called a bull in that didn't want to come in. 
And tonight we saw Chris call a bull in that didn't want to come in. I mean, it was, it was so impressive. I mean, he was covering 100 yards this way, 100 yards that way, 50 yards this way. Just, I mean, he by himself was a herd of elk on that hillside and awesome. mixing up multiple cow calls, um, you know, adding the movement. Um, I personally uh, felt like, you know, I'm gonna mess this up. So I'm gonna sit right here and I just kind of watched everything. And I would kick a rock every once in a while and I'd grab a handful of grass. Uh, I don't think anybody could really hear any of that or anything, but uh, Chris was, I, I mean, the, as soon as it was all done and Chris came down the hill, I mean, I was like, man, I'm, I, I don't even know what to say. That was amazing. I mean, an hour, and we were talking about it, like, the, the wind was right for the hour, thank God, like, because there's so many variables that you're up against, even when it happens fast, let alone you stretch it over. We're, I mean, you guys were under, you're at 86 yards for an hour of this bull, and, and Chris just kept him interested, kept him interested, and then had the awareness that it was like, okay, it's time. Like, we've checked all these boxes. This is the last box. I'm out. And and he and he's done. He's done. It was it was at, at that moment, whether that bull knew it or not, his life was getting very very short at that point. <laughs> so so the bull's coming up. Um, I'm just seeing the the antler tips. And then I'll let you, I mean, you guys were right in the heat of battle, so I'll let Willie kind of talk right, through right, yeah. that moment. And I'd probably start rewind, you know, maybe with where we first started yeah. and how the first bugle, for whatever reason, even at how big and mature this bull is, he started, and you looked at me and I looked at you and I was like, shit, he's going the other way. And you're like, yeah. And we both were like, we need to move closer about that same time, yeah. you know. Yeah, so the first two bugles were pretty strong and aggressive, and we thought for sure he was going to be coming in. And then all of a sudden, it was a real weak one. And the thing to keep in mind, that if a bull turns his head and bugles the other way, it can sound like he's going away, when in fact, you make a move and he's looking right at you, just turn to look at something else. So I said, Zach, he could be turned, but the next one was even weaker. So we hustled down the hill a little and bit. I caught that glimpse too. Yep, and, and Zach said he's leaving and you know the times were facing the wrong direction. So we hustled down probably 40 yards, got closer, and then all of a sudden he was in a little opening and looking straight up the hill. And that was about the time I think Chris realized he could, the bull could see where the calls were coming from and there was nothing to see. Um, so the decoys came out and Zach and I actually huddled up against a cedar tree and uh, we were only two feet apart and he's trying to film and so at the time Jordan's talking finally he's at eight he's at 86 yards raking a tree not sure if he's going to come and then he committed and he was coming straight up at us and uh got to about 35 yards and stopped dead in his tracks and looked right at Zach and me we were losing our cloud cover the sun was popping and I think the light may have reflected off the camera lens and it was that moment when a couple things that I'm sure of you don't do is one is look an animal in the eye. <laughs> so Zach and I both were probably looking under the brim of our hats at the elk. All I could think was just stare at the camera. Just stare at the camera. Do not look. Just stare at the camera. We're walking back in the camera. <laughs> 
all good. Don't yeah. worry about it. Stared, stared Doro in the eyes. <laughs> when you guys were walking back from the cross street, <laughs> lit him up. So Dave has now joined the podcast. Say we're hello, doing, Dave. Oh, we're doing a live podcast. Oh, uh, that's nice. We're <laughs> 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 right, three. We're recounting Willie's hunt. Oh. Yeah. And and the other thing is, Chris and I are a firm believer of that sixth sense. And if you start thinking one more step or turn to the right or hit that opening, so I'm like, Zach, think baseball, think football, think hockey, think about your grandma. Whatever it takes, don't think about the bull. And uh, there was one cedar tree about 20 yards away that if he came inside of that, it was wide open and we may not have an opportunity. Like 12 yards. He had been like 12 yards. Yeah, you know how to draw with him in the wide open yeah. at 12 yards. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, fate, whatever you want to say, Chris had moved to call him a little bit up that hill. The bull just wanted to go that way. He went the opposite side of the cedar. I drew at that point, and uh, he either heard something, caught some movement through the branches, I don't know, but bolted. But he only ran about 15 yards, which they'll do a lot of times, and then stop and look to see, look back to see what was going on. Perfectly broadside. And uh, I wasn't sure of the distance at that point. I knew where he was going to come out was like 28 yards. And I guessed he ran 15. And I just uh, settled my pin and let the arrow fly. What what sight do you use that helped make that happen, too? That's fine with me. Okay, great. No, I I mean, I use the Spot Hog uh, uh, Fast Eddie. And it's a single pin vertical sight, but it's got a secondary... Uh, fiber optic that's at the bottom that depending on a bunch of factors of the speed of your bow arrow weight everything else mine's about 12 yards off so I had the pin primary pin set at 30 so my other pin was at 41 and when he bolted I figured he was about that 40 to 45 I just settled that pin where I thought it was going to be let it fly and uh, as soon as I heard impact I called three times on the cow call, and Zach and I moved up the hill about five to ten yards. We could see antler tips, and he toppled over. And, I mean, it was fast. It was, I mean, it was the right shot at the right time and put it right where you wanted. You want that one shot, one kill, good ethical, quick kill, and and it happened. And, (laughs) you know, when you see a caliber of bull like that working up the hill and you watch him for an hour... The last thing you want to be doing is thinking about him being hanging up on your wall. And I was trying not to do that. And that moment was calm and everything. And to think that it actually had culminated and finished off after all this time, knowing he was dead, Jordan and Chris came down the hill. It was the elation, the high fives, the hugs. And uh, I think I looked at Zach and I don't even know what I said or did, but it was just the shakes, the post-adrenaline shakes. And then we all got to go recover him and... He's a bull of a lifetime. It's the only elk we've seen in really two days of being here, first day of the hunt. But it was a great bull. And uh, as of right now, things should be turning on with the weather being colder and whatnot. Dave's got a tag as a resident. Chris has a non-resident tag. And we got six days to kill two more bulls. Well, and, you know, being being a TV host, it's, it's one's job to be able to talk and really portray the moment with words and everything like that. So when the TV host comes up and is speechless, you know that's a real moment. That That's a moment that impacted that 
that person and it's 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 a feeling that until you're there it can't be replicated and and even talking about it now on this none of you will know until you or someone that you're close to or with is in that situation you just you can't explain it but when you get the shakes uncontrollably and you can't speak that's all a good thing <laughs> that's all a good thing so yeah you know like willie was saying the the bull crashed and uh he let off a few calls to let chris and jordan know that he had crashed because the bull was kind of a little bit out of their view and uh and and from from like Jordan's point of view, the story's kind of a whole a whole different aspect because Jordan's like, I see the elk run away and I don't know what's going on. So I'll hand the mic over to Jordan and he can kind of tell from his point of view what what then what what it looked like was going on. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, for all intents purposes, I was in a spot where. I was just staying out of out of sight because Chris is up on the hill. He's working the decoys. I'm just uh, staying in the back. I'm probably about 30 yards, 40 yards up the hill uh, from Willie and and Zach and and. Uh, so I haven't been able to see much at all. Like I'm, there's just a roll in the hill a little bit. I can hear the bull. I know he's close. He has decided to wage a war on a poor little juniper tree to the point where I think he raked it into the dirt from from a and so 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 Chris moves up the hill the bull starts coming in and all of a sudden I start seeing horn tips which is probably about when you're he's at the 35 yards and I can see him and I'm like you know he's right there man he's right like you know he's right there like I think we should do this and uh, and and nothing's nothing's happening nothing's happening and all of a sudden I see him turn and he's and he and he's taken a few more steps and I'm just about to see his head I'm laying flat on the ground just looking back over my chest uh, and my feet at him and and all of a sudden he bolts he boom he, he jumps and I'm like I didn't even hear a boat like I didn't hear the bow go off I didn't hear anything and I'm like oh like what the hell happened and then and then it goes quiet again and I hear two what and I'm like oh and you know and you just freeze like everything stops and then all of a sudden I hear and nothing and crap I mean the crash was what like I mean, was, 15 seconds? Yeah, it was like... I mean, I mean, he only went 30 yards. I mean, we walked down there, and there's just, like, gallons of blood on the ground, right? Like, what's that broadhead you're using? A Grim Reaper razor tip. A Grim Reaper razor tip, yeah. I mean, this thing, like, just went in there and destroyed everything. He's pumping blood out, and, and then, you know... As you guys watch the TV show, you're gonna probably see like the, the horn tips are waving. You get to, Zach did an awesome job getting the video and he crashes. So we, me and Chris obviously can't see any of that. I can't see any of that, but I can hear him crash. And then like, I'm on my knees and I'm like, <laughs> Like, I, I know what that sound is. Like, that's death. Like, that that thing died right now. And I'm looking down there and then hear Willie like, woo, 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 like a siren with the cow call. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yes, yes. Chris comes down the hill uh, and, you know, and 
I'm sure everybody listening has been there or something close. Like, you know, being with friends, being with guys, everybody's got a goal. We're trying to do the same thing and then watching that come to fruition, especially after an hour. Like, I've never been a part or seen a, a call sequence that long for an elk. I've never seen one like that. And then to have it come to fruition and it's this bull and it, it like, there was so much emotion. Like, it's just like, it's surreal. Like, just like in this moment and my God, it was, it really was. For my angle, like I truly was, I had the best seat in the house. I just total spectator. I don't know. Yeah, Zach, Zach had a pretty, pretty, pretty good, pretty good view. It was, it was. I, I had the the 360 view. There I'm seeing go. everything going on, and it it was that was one of the most incredible things I've ever got to witness, be a part of. It, it really was something else. Yeah, it was. You know, I would. Uh, if, if you haven't gone elk hunting, I would suggest to try it, obviously, right? I mean, I don't think anyone here would, uh, yeah, would, you know, would discount that. But if you're just new and you don't know where to look or where to begin, once again, check out Jordan. You know, that's, that's what he's there for. I mean... I bet I've lived in Wyoming my whole life and I honestly bet you I could talk with Jordan about Wyoming and learn shit about Wyoming. I mean, the guy lives, eats and sleeps and breathes it. So if you guys want to do any type of elk hunting, be sure to just check that out. So it's, I'm sure you guys can hear the rain. If you can't, I'm super surprised, but we are, we are about to start, you know, be building standing. <laughs> yeah, we're building an ark. We're going to put the one elk and the dog and all five of us on the ark. But uh, I don't know. I, I would like to kind of do like a little bit of a round table with with maybe a couple elk hunting tips from each one of us because we all hunt elk differently. Um, 95% of the time or more, I'm by myself. So I'm going to hunt completely differently than if I have a caller, you know? So I, I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a round table because I know Chris hunts elk in a way that most people shy away from, honestly. You know, still hunting is not an easy thing to do. It really isn't. And uh, thanks to Chris and doing still hunting, my wife got her first elk and I shot a deer in South Dakota with my bow still hunting. You know, so I think all of us are, you know, in different spots with elk hunting and everything like that. So I think we'll do a round table and I'm gonna hand the mic over to Chris and let him kind of talk a little bit about the way he hunts elk and you know some of his tips tactics and things like that because it's all it's all public land you know well you know i've been hunting elk now for what 35 years yeah and you were two yeah <laughs> and i got you know around 50 plus elk kills and anyway um my big tip you know from the lesson today is is you you have to understand what the bull wants to hear in the calls in the language that he's saying to you and what you are saying to him 
and realizing if a call is not working that you got to switch it up and you you have to and that just comes with experience you know and you gotta you gotta know the different kinds of calls you know um there's some lots of tapes out there these days where um Shout him out. Paul Medell, he's been on the podcast several times. Yeah, shout him out. You know, Paul Medell is hit, you know, with Wars and Wolves uh, when that came out. Elk Nuck Productions, uh, you know, has a very good tape to describe the different calls and why the bull is saying what he's saying and then what you should be then saying to the bull to bring him in. And, you know, again, that just comes with experience. And, uh, but I would start there and like Willie and I, you know, when we go elk hunting, we leave our calls in our pockets and use them only when we have to. As Zach mentioned, you know, we like to go in quiet, especially if there's a bull bugling, leave the calls in your pocket. Cause once you make a call, you have just pulled your pants down and let the whole world know you're there. Oh yeah. You know, you have totally exposed yourself. And depending on the situation, get in close, be quiet, still hunt, and try to stick that bull without calling because there's so many yahoos running around calling that a mature bull has heard every call that you could ever come up with and they will turn around and run in a heartbeat. So um, leave your calls in your pocket if you can. Call only if you need to and you have to. Get in close and then understand the calls that the bull is making and what you need to respond to to bring that bull in. And like tonight, um, the bugles were not working. The hot estrus calls necessarily weren't working. He was hanging up. We got the decoys out and then we played a little game that we were leaving the the cow went silent so that he now had to go and look and find that cow instead of just sitting in that same spot and calling which i did for 10 to 15 minutes with no luck of bringing that bull in he did not come to those calls go silent make him come to you and search for that cow call so don't overcall. If a call is not working and they're not responding and they're hanging up, you have to change up your tactic. And there's a multiple things you can do. And again, experience. You know, I got my little bag of trips. Yeah. You just learn to calibrate through. Uh, you learn to calibrate through experience. You di- there's no. You can't put it in a box ever. It's just dictated by the situation constantly. Right. There's. There's never the. Uh, if you do this, this is gonna happen every single time. That is, that's why we all hunt. Cause every single situation is different. Every single one. If we go to that exact same spot and the bull's in the exact same spot as he was and we do everything the same, he can turn around and go the other way. It is different every single time. That's why we all hunt. And uh, it, the challenge of it, you know, but, Chris, why don't you, but before we switch to somebody else, I would love for you to dive into, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be long, just real quick, whatever, um, still hunting, because I think a lot of people, they get up in the morning, 
and they go out, they do whatever, they see if there's elk, they bugle, they listen for bugles, whatever, and then by 10 o'clock, they're done. Hang out, do whatever, take a nap, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever you do, you do. Drink some beer. I don't know. Maybe some Pendleton. That's what we got here tonight. We'll never say that. <laughs> we don't have anything. And, but they do that. And then you go and you wait for the evening. And here comes the evening to hunt. So you just took, what, probably 10 hours of daylight roughly. And you hunted three, right? And by introducing and implementing still hunting you are you're opening up another four to six hours there midday and chris does a lot of it so just you know cover a little bit about what you're looking for when you decide to still hunt the type of you know the type of cover you're wanting to still hunt and what makes you pick one spot to still hunt over another you know what i mean yeah so, I mean, uh, still hunting is, has become kind of a lost art, but, you know, Willie and I, we've, we cut our teeth elk hunting in Colorado, uh, the black timber. And, you know, a lot of guys don't want to do that because, you know, you can only see 20 to 30 yards. Uh, you're not out in the wide open meadows, the sage, the oak brush, uh, where you can glass up a lot of elk and, you know, put a stalk on that way if you have a spotter or something like that so you know when you're hunting black timber you know um you got to slow down and so what i usually do is when i do a still and when i'm in a still hunting mode you know it can be early morning it can be evening it can be midday um where the elk are transitioning through the black timber and you slow down. I mean, you, you do the old three, five steps, stop, glass, you know, wait a minute or two, three to five steps, glass, stop, listen, do the 360 all the way around you. And then, you know, it might take you an hour to go 300 yards or less, you know, sometimes it takes me an hour to go a hundred yards. But if you know where the elk are, or they tend to be, the right those, elevation, that's the right elevation, what timber they might be in, you know, again, and that's getting to know your area. Saddles, benches. Saddles, benches, and steep north-facing stuff. Um, and you just slowly, slowly move through that, looking for, you know, horn movement, kind of like what Jordan found tonight. He saw the tips of the of the bull moving in the brush. You know, that's what you're looking for. And the idea is, of course, get the wind in your face and slip through that country. And a lot of times, you know, even midday, those bulls will get up, the cows will get up, you know, they want to stretch their legs. They'll, you know, they might only move a hundred yards from where they're bedded, but they're, they're up on their feet and they're moving around, they're feeding or whatnot. And those are, you know, perfect opportunities for you to get in close and then when you do get in close by still hunting, then you make the determination, once I've spotted the animal or I see the animals or I hear the animals, okay, am I going to go in completely silent with my still hunt? As long as I got the wind, where's the bull in relationship to the cows? Because he's probably not doing anything midday. They're not talking. They're not doing anything. And then it's luck of trying to find them. Otherwise, maybe you pull a call out and you try to do something. But at least that still hunting technique has gotten you in close. You're moving slow. 
You know, a lot of guys feel like when they're elk hunt, it's all about covering as you know much ground as you can. But if you know where the elk are or where they tend to be, work through that area slow. Kind of like still hunting. I grew up still hunting whitetails. That's how I learned my still hunting techniques. Uh, up in the northern woods of Wisconsin, you you know you still hunted through the woods looking for whitetails. So now I've taken those and applied it to elk hunting. So. Uh, you know, they say you can't kill them in the black timber. Well, that's where Willie and I have killed all our elk is in the black timber. So, Except still this it. one, right, Willie? <laughs> Except this one. Except this one. <laughs> New Mexico doesn't have a lot of timber, period. Yeah. But it's pretty wide open country. And uh, some, you know, you got to adjust to, to the right. terrain and, and adjust did. to that. You did, you know. And that's uh, that's what it is. It's adjustments adjustments so um now we're gonna hand it over to willie who's been you know hunting out he's gone like once or twice (laughs) times maybe a thousand but uh it's actually that that's it's actually his favorite hunt which is which is cool because you know you talk to a lot of people and some people just have you know, they're really passionate about high country mule deer or antelope or whatever else. So, Willie, it's it's actually, that's his favorite hunt. And he's hunted a lot of different states and used a lot of different tactics. So, uh, like you, I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to hear his little nuggets. <laughs> tink, tink. Well, Chris covered a bunch of them. Uh and we've hunted a lot together and we we know each other's calls and we know kind of what each other's thinking you get that with a good hunting partner and um i'll know when when a bull's doing something and chris is calling for me probably what he's going to do next and usually follows through and and likewise when i'm calling for him um we've learned a lot from other people we didn't create a lot of these things but you you know if you want to get into it or you want to perfect your craft you won't do any better than being in the woods yourself and you learn by trial and error, but there's a lot of resources out there, a lot of good callers, and uh, we've learned a lot from a lot of different people and now just kind of have, have done our thing. But I think always and never, never apply in elk hunting. So you just need to learn all of the things that uh, an elk is saying to you and what to reply to, but be dynamic beat change do lots of different tactics because you never know what's going to work it just takes the right bull at the right time with the right thing that you're doing and you won't know that till you try a whole bunch of different things so as far as calling goes chris covered a lot of that i mentioned briefly about you know when a bull's in close and he's kind of hanging up i got a couple things that i do for sure don't look him in the eye there's sort of that predator instinct when you make eye contact with an animal that's what a wolf's going to do. That's what a coyote's going to do. It's what a bear's going to do going after them. So if you, I just look under my brim and keep an eye on their legs and their lower body. And more often than not, that's giving them the confidence to keep going. Um, and oddly enough, think of something else. Like I told Zach, I mean, just don't think one more step, one more step, do it. I think it sometimes sends off a sixth sense. It's as <laughs> goofy as that sounds. Focus, focus, right. keep him in focus. That's which, what I was thinking. Yes, which is good instead of staying one one more step. Um, doing that type of thing. And and, uh, and it's really just, I've hunted solo. Um, whenever you're hunting solo, Zach, you could attest to this. When you are calling... Uh, and I'll back up real quick. Chris said sometimes, you know, we love to leave the calls in the pocket. When you've got a single bull 
he's not going to be bugling for you know many other reasons you've got to elicit it and you have to call him in it's usually when a bull has cows and has another bull he's challenging that the circus comes to town as chris and i like to say and that's when you leave the calls in your pocket and sneak in silently and and don't let him know that you're there the only way this bull we were going to call him in was to call him in the only way we were going to kill him was to call him in and so it's using all of the calling techniques and that type of thing that we've learned over the years and it took an hour as jordan said this bull didn't want to come in and we convinced him he needed to come in (laughs) and he came um and so those are some of the things and then you know spend the time and range your trees all around you i mean you may think a bull's going to come a certain way they may circle downwind you're not even using your rangefinder pick a tree or a, a a target downwind of you and that's when one of the things you need to do is just putting as many odds in your favor as you can so when that bull comes in you have you just kind of go on instinct rather than actually having to over overthink some things and and i didn't know the exact distance but i knew he was going to come out of that tree at about 25 yards and a lot of times when they bolt like that turn and look it's between 10 and 15 yards it's a an elk's cavity is a big target i think it's 18 inches from top of the lungs to bottom of the lungs so you still want to aim small miss small but when you kind of have that five yard it's been between 10 and 15 yards that they're usually going to run turn and stop you've got a little bit of margin of error there and it worked out great today and uh I don't know. I guess I'll go on a little bit of thing. I've, I'm pinching myself. I've never been about score. I've usually shot the first thing that came in, which happened to be today, and it happened to be a bull of a lifetime. Um, I don't know. I've hunted a, a, archery elk is my biggest passion, as Zach said, and I've hunted a, a lot, and I've killed a lot of bulls with Chris. And uh, everybody always has a dream to kill a bull like I killed tonight. A lot of people won't, and I'm just tickled to death, and I couldn't have been four better dudes doing it. And actually for other better dudes with dave even though he wasn't there that's why we're here so i just kind of want to take a moment to thank you all for your time friendship and being here and just experiencing it all together because hunters know and we've had a lot of conversations about it we all have the same sort of draw and bond of hunting and we all met through different pathways but it was hunting that brought us together and it's developed in friendships that have gone a bunch of different ways so um Thanks a bunch, you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, Here you yeah, go, Zach. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I would like you to talk about a little bit is blind setups. Yep. And and I, I definitely don't want to, you know, downplay the emotions and the feelings and everything that, that was just coming from Willie. Because it's, it's hard to feel that and really grasp that when it's just straight audio. You know, it, it really is. Um, but... It was, it was an, it was an incredible thing this evening. It really was. And when you guys see the footage, I mean, the bull is at thirty yards and screams in our face. And you see the snot blow out of it. Like it, it's insane. Um, so I don't want to downplay that at all. However, I, I have I've never done blind setups because I hunt by my freaking self. (laughs) So I have never done that, you know? And, uh, 
when they're like, <laughs> so we're in Wyoming, they're like, let's do a blind setup. And I'm like, what the hell for? <laughs> no goddamn elk right here. And they're like, no, we do this all the time. And I'm not going to argue with them because they kill a lot of elk. Both of them, Chris and Willie, have killed a lot of elk. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Just shut up and follow, you know, do whatever. Turn the camera on. Man. Yeah. I got to press record. <laughs> and I think I got that tonight. Um, I press record all right tonight. Yeah. Had, a, had, a, had a few settings in the right direction, right, no guys? double tap, huh? No, no double tap. The first thing you did to make sure was you sat down and pulled your computer out, plugged the SD card in just to make sure. So <laughs> and and I wanted it easy. And I wanted it in two places. It is now already in two places, perfect, Willie. Perfect, already in two places. But uh, yeah, so you know we're in Wyoming now. We're in, you know we're in New Mexico and we did a couple blind setups today. And in Wyoming, it was early. And I've noticed the rut in Wyoming is going later and later, later. It, like everywhere else, right? It's just going later. And they're like, well, yeah, let's do this blind setup. And the cameraman is just shut your mouth and follow. But for me, I struggle because I've killed a lot of shit with a bow, you know? And I mean, not a lot, but enough, right? And so I'm like... This is dumb. Why are we doing this? What the hell? You know, I'm, that's what I'm thinking because I've never done it. I've always hunted by myself. And uh, so I would love for you to kind of dive into, you know, blind setups because I know nothing about them. And I would assume with elk, like in Wyoming, when they're zero response, <laughs> when you cow call or bugle and the key, watch the cows run the opposite direction, I would assume that... Those elk just are not ready for a blind setup. That's what I would assume. But once again, I don't know anything about it. So I, I think it would be great to to hear your thoughts and what you're looking for when you set up for a blind setup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've done a lot of blind setups and I've done them hunting by myself. Um, and you kind of figure out a lot of tips and tactics along the way from the types of calls to make, how early in the season is it. I read an article years and years ago. Um, uh, Jim Horn wrote it. It was called Calling Tight-Lipped Elk. So when it's early in the season and nothing's talking, he's got a calling sequence and you need to give it more time. And the bulls will a lot of times come in silence. So you're kind of looking for, like Chris said, kind of if you're not still hunting, which is harder with the bow, it's not impossible, but you kind of know where they're hanging out. And it's usually something that you do... Uh, any time today, yeah, but but maybe once they've gone to bed, you kind of figure out what the bedding areas are. If you feel, see a bunch of rubs, you know, bulls recently hung out there. Maybe it's near a wallow, um, a high mountain wallow, not a one down in the in the valley that a bull might be within two or three hundred yards of. And you just start really soft muse because you don't know if the bull is a hundred yards away. You don't want to blow them out with some big giant, you know, lost cow call that you're you're screaming because it'll scare them. And then you slowly build up, and we usually give it, again, it's never a 45 minutes period. You know, you kind of get a, a sense of the terrain, the dark timber, how good things feel, if, if there is a bugle or if it's silent, you know. But we usually give those about 45 minutes, and you escalate to the estrus wines, and even if it's early... Um, that bull may just be curious enough and he's not coming in because he's rutting he's coming in because he's curious that there might be a cow that's coming in estrus really early and just have your head on a swivel because it could come in upwind downwind uh 
totally surprise you. You could be the caller if you're hunting with a partner and all of a sudden you become the shooter because it comes in the opposite way that you're expecting it. But it's really just figuring out, again, what, like Chris said, a tendency to where elk like to hang out, benches, saddles, bedding areas, north-facing slopes, any combination of those, and just set up and start making some calls and giving it enough time for a bull to either decide to scream and come in and you, you know he's coming or just come in silent. Right. And uh, looking for some of that activity, really, really fresh sign. Dan Staten just killed a bull on opening day in Wyoming doing that exact same thing. He calls it a cold setup, but just looks for all of those signs. And he's hunting solo and called a bull in and, and killed him. So when they're not talking, you can force them to come in curious or get them to talk at times. But again, it's it's always a never, never apply. Well, you just need talk to drive. about the <clears throat> public land and talk about the public land and that they're not coming to calls and they're coming in silent. They're not coming in yeah. tooting their horn because they know they're sneaking in because they've had bad experiences with other hunters or they know the calls and that's why they're not calling A and why the blind setup is effective. Yeah, I mean, 30 years ago or so, my dad, I mean, you could use these almost flute-like calls, bugle, and these bulls would come in running. Straw. A straw, <laughs> almost a kid's uh, party favor sort of thing. I mean, when it started out, and, and I know there's, there's lots of um, people have varying opinions. I mean, some of the world champion elk callers still are convinced you can call bugle bulls in it and you can again it's but it's never and always and never sort of thing but the general tendency like chris is saying is that there's more people in the woods hunting elk they're calling more and more they're using some basic calls they're not mixing it up and so these elk do get call shy and it's happening earlier and earlier i'm not sure if those cows that we had in wyoming zach were just not ready for it or they just had their little group and didn't want to respond to cow calls uh didn't want the challenge we're always of course looking for bulls but yeah they heard a couple cow calls and man they were like "Uh uh-uh they were out (laughs) and sometimes sometimes even as experienced as you are you're like i have no clue what just happened or why that happened chalk that up to memory bank maybe we won't try that cow call or the calf call or something to them at this time but she gone you know um so yeah blind setups work uh calling has changed over the years but don't let it stop you but just think of other types of calls if something isn't working i mean the, the definition of uh schizophrenia is trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result so if it isn't working, try something else and just expand your thoughts of what to throw at them and repertoire and something is bound to work. It's really kind of a numbers game. You may luck out first bowl of the first day of the season and you think you're all that in a bag of chips and it may take you two more years before you kill something. Uh, but you just need to keep trying. It's a numbers game. The more that you do, the more you will learn, more experiences you're going to have, and you'll just build it into future hunting experiences, and hopefully your success will improve. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is not, as, as far as, you know, setting up and, and calling and, you know, cold calling or blind calling, whatever you want to call it, um, like I say, it was, it was, it's just a whole new concept to me that nothing that I've ever tried, but man, I could definitely see a bull just sneaking in there. Like, what's that? You know, what's going on over there? I, my God, I just need to go. I need to go look at it. And that's, that's when you shoot them, you know, but, uh, 
Jordan, I don't, you know, I, I know that you grew up in Utah. Yep. And you're hunting high-pressured elk. <laughs> Just a little, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I have no idea how much you've focused on elk since then. Sure. But... I think definitely covering some of the things that you guys were doing to harvest elk in a unit where everyone buys a tag and goes out and hunts, but not everyone fills them is, I mean, that I think that's extremely valuable. You know what I mean? Sure. So, I mean, maybe even more than Utah, um, just maybe more of like a 10,000 foot view of what, I see working with hundreds of guys a year and helping them apply. And, you know, we talk about goals and what are you trying to accomplish? And, and I work with a lot of guys in the Midwest and in the East coast and they're, and they're archery hunters. They're just through and through and archery hunters come from everywhere, but it just seems to me, um, from my scope, lots of Midwest and East coast guys, like that's it. Some of them don't even own rifles. They're archery hunters. And elk is, is a, is a, high profile goal that they want to do and some of them really get into elk hunting and some of them are just trying to check the box on on a on a on an elk and obviously we're hunters we you know oftentimes most guys uh want the best that they can get the biggest bull that they can find and and so whether you're doing an over-the-counter hunt in in oregon or idaho or colorado or you're drawing a tag and, and you're planning a hunt to go out west and you and you want to do this um the time that you're going is, is something i kind of wanted to touch on because i'm a big I, I see so many guys have this just absolute, you know, mindset that that no matter what, I want to be there the last week of September. I want to be there the third week of September. And and I've found over the years from guiding for a long time, as well as just, uh, you know, again, having this 10,000 foot view, because I have so many guys. I mean, right now I've got guys all over the country. I've got from you name the state and I've got guys archery elk hunting right now. And, and I'm a big believer it, that, that it's very hard to kill a bull like we did tonight a week from now, two weeks from now, once that bull gets cowed up, that bull, everything changes for that bull. So if you're wanting to kill an elk, you know, 15th through the 30th of September, you know, uh, a satellite bull might, like the ruts really cranked up and whatnot. That bull probably is a little bit easier to, to kill at that point in time um, because he can't get in on the action and the action's fading, the ruts progressing and he hasn't got anything going on and that bull comes in. But to kill a bull like we did tonight, I'm, I'm a lot more prone to, if I, if that's my goal is to kill a bull like we did tonight, a big mature three, 30 plus caliber bull of a bull that in whatever unit you're in is going to be the herd bull to kill that bull. That's an early September type of, of time frame, And, and so if you're planning your hunt and you want to avoid the crowds in some of the over the counter areas, or you want to have better drawing odds and stay a state like New Mexico that splits the archery season between September one through 14 or the 15 through 24, um, 
don't don't shy away or don't look away from that the better drawing odds in the in the early season don't turn away from the september 5 through 10 hunt the september 5 through 15 hunt something right in there you know and and think outside the box if you know you're going to a place that is over the counter you know the locals are going to be hunting in the evenings and they're going to be hunting in the weekends plan your hunt to get there on a sunday plan on hunting monday through friday be there a little bit before the you know the the standard this is when the rut is going to happen because just like tonight no action nothing's happening all day long and we get one bull that one bull should have cows and he would have had cows next week he will have cows and everything about what happened tonight changes because of that but because we're just a little bit in front of a peak rut activity created an opportunity on a bull that most of the rut would be very very difficult to have success with and so more than you know i i I would i think it would be foolish of me to try and sit here with willie and chris and talk about tactics and how i'm going to kill them like like i said i kill every one of them that wants to come in and i never killed one that didn't want to come in but timing and and having this ten thousand foot view of what all is happening across the west and what hunters are seeing the best bulls i see year year in and year out most of the time for archers come prior to september 15th it's better drawing odds the the forest doesn't have as much pressure now you have to take that into you know kind of again uh, full transparency more often than not once you study into it success rates are lower so it's all about finding your goal and that's what i'm always on the phone talking to guys about like what is the goal just killing one is the goal you know it's pretty hard to turn away from that september 15 through 30 time frame but if we've got to a, a progression where just killing a bull isn't quite what the goal is and we're looking for a big bull like we did tonight don't don't turn your back on the first 15 days of september because to me that that does seem when it happens more like that's that bull is uh, he's gonna decide it's time to rut but he's not with those cows yet and that little window you catch him in that window and and you you really have a special moment right there that something like tonight could happen so i mean that's that's yeah it's it's a really um it's all about diving into your goal what's the dream what are we trying to accomplish and and then help you know putting a plan around that and it's different for everybody right right so i think right there you just got a small taste of what jordan will do and what he's able to to help someone walk through because someone might call jordan up and be like my goal is to shoot a 370 bull and then after talking with jordan and what what the realistics and logistics and all that stuff of actually doing that is they're they're all of a sudden realizing that I don't really care if it's 370. I want to go and I want to have this type of experience. I want to see this many elk and that's what I want. You're right, man. And then Jordan moves in and helps set you up with that. Where can we find that? Where it, where does that exist? Exactly. And 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 we start drawing X's on maps and then it's like, "Okay, hey, now we know what the goal is and now it's just like any goal. Let's start back planning." 
And, and sometimes it's this very long-term goal and we talk about it and we, and we get more transparency around it. And other times, often I can start pointing you towards a short-term goal. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to also work on this long-term goal, but we're, we're, we're working on multiple fronts to accomplish all sorts of, uh, of, of different agendas that we have around what our goals are. Right. And, and one thing that I think is funny is I know very, very few people that if a 300 class bull comes in at 30 yards, that they're going to pass. Right. And, and everyone in this group is, is you, you need a, you need a stack that you can't run and jump over before you pass one like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, like exactly. How do you, how do you uh, not shoot one? I, I mean, the only way I, I don't shoot a 300 that comes in is if I see the 360 standing a little farther than he is. Well, I mean, I, you know, like I said earlier, you know, Willie and I've been hunting, you know, I've been hunting elk 35 years. Willie's probably maybe a little longer than that since he was born and raised in Colorado, but I got one bull over 300, one in 35 years. And that was because I happened to draw a premium tag, you know, mm-hmm. in Colorado, my once in a lifetime, you know, unit 61 tag. And I, I shot a 341 bull, but, yep. you know, and then, and it's a this stud. Bull, you know, oh. and this, you know, bull that we shot tonight is the largest bull I've ever, you know, with Willie that we've ever seen or shot in 35 years so to think that anybody can just run out and shoot a 370 you know class bull i mean i'm sorry it's 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 like a 200 inch whitetail they're not behind every tree yeah that's right yep that's happening (laughs) yeah the other thing one is when a, a kind of a comment leading into a question for jordan you know, what is somebody's experience? Somebody who's hunted elk for as long as Chris and I have. Yeah, we would love to kill. Everybody would love to kill the caliber of bull that I did tonight. But somebody may hunt their whole lives, and it, that shouldn't define your enjoyment of hunting. I mean, tonight, yeah, everything culminated like Jordan said. But, I mean, we had a storm moving in. Lightning was striking. The sunset was amazing. You take all the whole experience in and who you are with was phenomenal. And if somebody wants to kill a big bull, I think Jordan's right. I know more people who think early season is the best time to do it before they're cowed up. But if you want the experience of hearing bugles and seeing red activity, go later. But just know that your odds of killing a satellite are better than killing a herd bull, especially as a newer hunter. But don't let that define it. Any elk with a bow is a trophy to me, even a cow. I mean, archery hunting is tough. And it's a 10% success rate, so keep that in mind. But Jordan, if somebody wants to go with an outfitter, do outfitters like, do elk outfitters like whitetail outfitters charge more for the peak rut than they do for other times of the year? So can you pay a little bit less for either a drop camp or an outfitted hunt September 1st through the 15th than you would if it was the 16th through the end of the month? Um, I would say the, on the public land side of things, um, it's, it's, it's pretty consistent, but you definitely see, um, private land and, you know, some of the outfitters and whatnot charging more. Um, and, and, and it's really about, a it's about a, a supply versus demand thing, right? Like that's, what's causing the price to increase is that demand is 
so high. So they start charging a little bit of a premium. It, it truly isn't a super common thing, but it's, but it's definitely out there. Meanwhile, you know, for, uh, in the right scenarios for a few bucks less, you're, you're out, you know, who, who doesn't want first crack at, at it, right? Like you're, you, you, you're showing up to a camp early. Maybe you spent a few less dollars and nothing's dead yet. Like, you're not, you know, if you're there the second, third week, you've, you've, you're already at a point where there's, there's animals that have been harvested already that obviously it worked, right? They, they were the ones that I call in, the ones that wanted to come in, right? So it, you know, don't, don't shy away from, from that early season stuff. And, um, you know, be realistic with what your goals are and what your dream is and what, you know, not everybody can be on a magazine cover the first time. I mean, I think, especially when we talk about guided hunts, right? I think that once we start investing that kind of money into, into hunts, I think, uh, the world has put us in a situation where we, we, we pay for something, then we expect something and hunting is just, it's, it's not, that doesn't exist. And so we, we take care of as many variables as we can. We discuss the goals. We, we dive into what the agenda is and what we're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, and then we take steps forward and, you know, if we control the variables, oftentimes it works out, but not always. It doesn't doesn't always culminate. Well, it does exist, but that's where you get the people that show up expecting to kill. Right. As opposed to the people that show up going, this is a hunt. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to kill, but it's hunting. It's right. still hunting. You know, it's not... I paid so-and-so this much, I'm going to kill this big of an elk, and that's how it goes, you know? And the world, the world with so many products and things that we do now has created a scenario where that's what it is. You, you spend money and you receive something for it. And I think as hunters, we can all take a step back, and it's a hard pill to swallow i've been there personally i you know i know many guys who've been there that what we invested in was the experience and 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 sometimes that also includes harvesting an animal that's what you invested in icing on the cake yeah yeah yeah. that was our doll sheep hunt this year yeah yeah, Chris and Willie just got back from Alaska, and uh, you know that's that's exactly what it was—a doll sheep hunt that didn't end up culminating in a harvest. Right. But it doesn't take away from the experience. The experience, yeah. for sure. Tons of memories, and tons of stories, and, and there's people who kind of look at you like, "Oh, you didn't kill one," and there is a perception that, especially on those higher dollar hunts that it's a foregone conclusion you're going to get it done. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, did you have fun? You're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I was in Alaska. Alaska. Have you ever flown days. into Anchorage? Oh. Like, even just, like, getting off the airplane in Anchorage and there's a polar bear standing there and you're like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like it's like, like, immediately, like, you're in the moment. Like, the <laughs> second you step up, you or you're even it. flying over the wrangles and the sun's, like, exploding off oh. the snow. I mean, it's just, like, it's Alaska, for God's yeah. sake. You go to Lake Hood and watch float planes come in and out all yeah. day long, and you take a Super Cub flight, you know. Even being in a float plane, just, oh, just, like, like, I remember climbing in my first one, I was like... <sighs> 
No kidding. And we land on a river that was like l- probably less wide than the street I grew up on. And you're like, this guy's like bringing it down. You're like, oh my God, we're doing this right now. So like, there's no way that that isn't part of it. Yeah. And and yes, we're hunters. We have goals. Like the hunters are goal-driven people. Like that's what we do is we're trying to accomplish something. So yeah, it's a kick in the butt. I mean, I was in Kansas. I remember, so I was supposed to go to Kansas. Kansas, the f- or I did go to Kansas first time. Um, it would have been in like 2015, and and the, the, this outfitter that that I still work with, he, I, mean, I was showing you guys pictures of some of the deer that this guy like right. monsters, it's unbelievable. His track record is unbelievable, and like my password on my computer for everything that year was like. I'm going to Kansas, right? Like I, yeah. like I am like building the, I draw the tag. I'm so excited. And, and I show up to camp. I've, I've hunted like whitetail a little bit, two or three times. Like I was telling you guys, I've been to African Arctic right. circle before I ever hunted whitetails. Yeah. So whitetails are still this like super exciting thing to me. And I don't know anything about them. I suck at hunting at them. And so they're like, I'm all about it. I want to be better at it. And, and I go there and there's like six guys in camp long story short uh a guy uh, first night there killed 179 inch nine point the next night a guy kills a 166 like the most beautiful 10 you've ever seen um these two guys from new york who've never seen a deer over 130 in their life kill two like 145 150 class bucks beautiful awesome white tail and like day four comes here's jordan day five comes i i never see it like a a a two-year-old deer i never even see a two-year-old in and 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 I remember driving back home from Kansas and I didn't have this deer and it was such a foregone conclusion. I'm going to one of the best outfitters in the country for giant whitetails. Of course, I'm going to get one. Right. I just don't know what, what number he's going to have next to him. Right. <laughs> like that's how I'm th- And I mean, it was such a good level set for me that I still went and hunt in Kansas and that in itself was this amazing spirit. Now it's not quite as like walk out of the airport and there's a polar bear experience as Alaska, but it's still like, it doesn't matter what the species doesn't matter what it is. It's unfortunate that we live in a time where sometimes once there's been money invested, um, that it's a foregone conclusion when that's, you know, there's so much good other than just the harvesting of the animal. And it also, you know, I mean, here we sat with Chris and Willie and you were in with them in Wyoming. I mean, this is third hunt of the year already. We're mm-hmm. mid September, thir- third hunt of the year. And this is our first success. How much sweeter is this after the grind that you guys have been on for the last three weeks to walk up and it's like, my God, but you're not thinking back. You're not thinking about what happened. You're just like in this moment that it's like, it, you know, like you said, it's an odds thing and it's odds with all of hunting. Just go, go. I mean, and whether you're DIY or, or, or fully guided or whatever it is, just go. And that's, 
that's what I love. I love watching people that just have that hunger to get out there. And whether it's a, a unit like we're in that we literally, I mean, I remember talking to Chris <laughs> when we started putting this plan together. I'm like, Chris, man, like, we the, there, there's we like, see an elk. we literally could go six, seven days and never see an elk in here, man. Mm-hmm. But they do kill some pretty nice bulls. And there's some, there's some migration stuff happening when the rut starts staging up and all these different things. I was like, I mean, there's a chance, and the guys who do it, they do kill big bulls. But I'm telling you, we could go a week without cutting a track in that unit, man. And he's like, Yeah, let's do it, <laughs> right? And and and, yeah. and so it, uh, I mean, that's the the passion, that drive. It's I don't know. I could go on. I love it. Like I love that. I love helping people navigate that too. Right. It's that, my that's favorite what you thing. Do. God bless america that's what you do yeah yeah and i'll jump in here and say sort of on that deal that it sounds maybe a little counterintuitive because of what just happened today with the caliber of bull but we told jordan coming in here yeah we're here we know there's not many elk and the chance of a big bull is there but we aren't holding out for any number and frankly if it was a 260 class six point or a 240 class five point that we saw raking that tree i'd have been just as excited and we would have said let's go for it because we're hunters i mean everybody would love to do what we did today but if that defines who you are as a hunter that that's sort of too bad because it should be for the overall experience yeah and uh, i would have been and the people i can't honestly i absolutely i can't honestly say i would have been just as jazzed with the 245 (laughs) point because this was something special you you wouldn't have done the (laughs) <laughs> I might have done that because you know I do have a propensity you know I'm kind of like a Fred Eichler I will shoot the first thing that comes through that gets me excited and any elk gets me excited this one just got me really excited so um, I would know, hope so oh my gosh yes but you know my opinion just don't let score define the, the experience don't let the fact whether you killed or not define the adventure and the people that you meet and you know that's what it's all about in my humble opinion right yeah no and i so guys i'm gonna set this back in the middle of us it has stopped raining so just jinxed it rather yeah it'll probably start pouring again but rather than handing it around i'm gonna try setting in the middle lord knows what my editing life is going to look like right chris has to go take a piss and so does jordan so it might just be me and willie for a little bit but um you know i I think a, a huge part of when somebody calls someone like Jordan and says, hey, I want to go on a hunt where I can shoot a 350-class bull. I think, hands down, without a doubt, and Will, you'll jump in on this, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all this stuff has played an insanely big role in people thinking they need to shoot that type of animal. And when you see a 300 class bull or a 250, if it if it's literally a symmetrical six point that's 250 inches, you if you have not hunted out before, you will shit your pants. Mm-hmm. And I think with the Instagram, and you just follow, you follow people, and this is not knocking anyone because somebody like Ryan Lampers is an amazing like. He's not only a great person to just talk with and 
and get to know, but the guy knows how to kill big animals. But if, if you are, if you're, if you got somebody like, say you have Ryan Lampers, Cameron Haynes, Brian Barney, and Travis Nowatney in your feed, and you're watching 190 inch deer, 180 inch deer, 160 inch deer, but he's 40 inches wide, 350 inch elk. Oh, now I'm going to Idaho, 320 inch elk. Now I'm going to Montana, 315 inch elk. If you're watching that stuff and being like, well, that is what I want to do. Yeah, that's that's completely natural to want to do that, but you got to understand the amount of time, effort, sweat, and everything else years. behind years. The time, yeah, that is going into those guys getting it done. Because, I mean, it, this this is zero bragging, but I call up Ryan and Lampers, and I'm like, hey, you know, I got some questions about this. This is what I'm looking at doing, about it. and we talk back and forth. And the guy just knows because he's been through it. He's spent the time. He spent the years before Instagram ever got started. He was out there pounding out and not killing stuff. Long, long time ago, right? But now things are catching up and he knows what to look for. And it just all comes down to time. And somebody like Jordan can help speed that up. Yeah, I mean. With what you do. So many people think that, I think there's... There's two misconceptions. Um, sometimes uh, it, it boils down to how, like, the, the length of time it takes to go on a hunt. And I think it, it goes both ways. I, I get guys on the phone that have this misconception that it's going to take 10 years for every tag, right? If a guy calls me and tells me I want to go elk hunting every year, not going to over-the-counter areas, we can usually do that. We can get a guy on an above-average hunt that that isn't over-the-counter, that has a limited quota of hunters on there every year, and 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 create a better scenario, better situation for him to jump in, and, and the jump rope is swinging, and he's getting in a little bit ahead of the curve instead of just locking into some over-the-counter type of experience. The other thing I find is that, it, you know, guys are like, well, I heard it takes a, a long time to draw like an Arizona elk tag or a Nevada elk tag or a Utah elk tag. I, I hear that takes a long time uh, to do, what are we talking, five or six years? And I'm like, no, like 20 or, <laughs> right. may, or maybe like never. Like right. we're going to try to do this, but there isn't necessarily going to be a finish line if we're getting started at zero. <laughs> That's just as unfortunate if you, without a little bit of coaching, are spending $160 for a hunting license, $15 in applications, and you're you're like, hey, this is going to be my elk, and I'm going to go to Arizona. I'm going to do this, and and who wouldn't want to go to Arizona? Like, you know, that's it's amazing. There's lots of units with amazing bulls, and and guys kill kill just incredible elk. But if you don't know that you're getting started and that you literally could be behind a 20-year point curve that 
isn't your uh, the, the curve meaning you're never getting closer how unfortunate is that and and that's the kind of conversations i love helping guys get started with so that they at least have an idea of when they're going to invest that money like what is it doing what what get ground are we gaining are we truly moving closer to a goal or should we might as well just be writing a donation check to that state every year and handing it in right. and and it's it you either spend the time on the computer and you research it and you look it all up or you call me for five minutes and you're low right and you move forward well i think i guess what i'm trying to say is with all of the social media out there people get this thought that in order to go have fun elk deer antelope honey it doesn't matter right in order to go have fun it's got to be big enough that when i put it on instagram i get a lot of likes right yes for sure does anyone else here agree that's bullshit (laughs) agree i think it is too because if that's the only reason why you're hunting then you're not hunting for the right reason exactly and and i think and i think anyone that thinks like that has never looked at a 150 inch deer bedded under a tree and thought i can stalk that deer they've never looked at a 70 inch antelope out there in the prairie and like Ah, oh, God, that's going to be tough, but I might be able to make this happen. They've never called in a 280-inch elk, right? Mm-hmm. Most likely they have not. So all I'm trying to get at is... There's a spike bull hunt in Utah. So if you're a resident, well, if you don't have to be a resident, but if you live in Utah and you want to go hunting elk every year, it's... Uh, Outside of a few, what they call any bull units, which are horrible populations of elk, and it's it's very tough, then you go spike elk hunting. That's what you buy. It's an over-the-counter tag, and you go, I promise you, that is a fun hunt. (laughs) That is a wild... Anytime you get to go elk hunting is fun. Well, and look, we just got back from Wyoming. Zach, you were there. We talked about it. Well, I'm from Wyoming, and it was fun. But the reason that we went back to that unit was four years prior, we were in there, and I shot a spike. After six days of hunting, public land, Chris and I had never been there before. We had a great experience. We called other bulls in. I shot a spike on the last night, and I was as tickled over that spike as I was over any elk because of the time and effort that you put in and go for it. And there's some people who might scoff and I wouldn't have, wouldn't have, you know, wasted the time to pack it out and everything else. And I think that's kind of what's wrong with it, that you have to shoot something that's a certain number to enjoy the experience, feel good about it and be accepted. And you know what, if you love it and it excites you and it gets your heart thumping, that's what this should be all about. And the people that you're with. Right. So a spike or a 370 class bull or, or anything in between. Or a cow. Or a cow. Right. Yep. If, Absolutely. If your heart's beating out of your chest. That, and, yeah, and, see, and it, what you said the other night. That's true. Yeah. was 100% so, true. So I had a guy call me. He's bought an over-the-counter tag in Colorado, and he's going hunting, and he just wants to talk about the area. And we jump on uh, Onyx Maps, and we... And we kind of zoom in on this area that he's planning on hunting. And we go through kind of, 
you know, I could give him an overview of, you know, if I was going to hunt this area, this is what I would be looking for. These are the things I would be kind of keying up on. And at the end of the conversation or close to the end, he asked me, he's like, would you shoot a cow if you were me? And, and I told him, and, it, and, I'm, and I meant it a hundred percent. I said, if your heart is beating out of your chest when that cow is approaching and you don't culminate on that, you don't put an exclamation mark on that. Like, what are we doing it for? Right. Like, if you can't get lost in that emotion and that intensity and then, and, and, and just let that take over and, and culminate with, with, and, and even if it's a cow, if that cow gets you that fired up to not harvest her, not shoot that cow, what the heck are you doing out there? Right. And, and as, as, as hunters, we progress, you know, if he does shoot a cow and he comes back next year, he may not feel that same intensity. Maybe he will. If he's me, probably we would, I, yep. you know, but eventually I'm going to get past that. And what makes my heart beat out of my chest is inherently going to change but every time i find my heart beating out of my chest to not culminate on that moment like come on right like what for for a fear of rejection on social media for a fear of what 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 for what are you what are we doing wow. if we're not culminating on those moments as hunters when our adrenaline is peaked are, are it's an intense like how unfortunate that someone would even have to ask me that question and feel nervous about what you're going to say about well about what this scenario that might happen for them like kill that thing man yes right do it yeah. and take pictures and be proud and, and be, be excited proud. And, absolutely you know and 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 you're a hunter you did it yeah. you did it and be proud that's that's one of the things that all three of these guys said you literally just killed something like killed no more tomorrows it's dead you did that and that's something that you got to stand behind and be proud about and man i've i've shot my fair share of cows and and loved every second of it you know and I took pictures with every single one of them because yep. it happened. I was proud of it. I mean, the adventure, the challenge, and yes, of course, the meat in the freezer. I mean, that's that's a part of it, Absolutely. right? It, it, it's just, it's like, if you love the challenge and you love the adventure, the meat in the freezer is like an added bonus because you're not expecting that when you go out hunting. It's like, yes, here it happens, right? But now that it is almost 2 a.m. in the morning, I will share my very limited amount of elk knowledge because I hunt elk completely different than these <laughs> other three guys. Um, because I sound like a dead chicken when I blow an elk call and it is, it is rough. So I typically go through my units when I go to hunt and I find units where I can either hunt elk in the wide open and spot and stalk them without saying a word yep. and I just get the wind right and get in front of them whatever happens you know I basically spot and stalk it much like a bedded deer right <laughs> or I find units I can hunt them above tree line and once again I am spot and stalking the elk because my god am I a bad uh, I, and I've called in two elk in my life and 
miraculously I killed both of them but we're not going off of those two you know uh, the one I called in was a lone bull by himself and uh, much like uh, Chris and Willie discussed when you're calling by yourself it's, it's a lot different I had this elk coming in and I knew that I was going to set up behind this pine tree why behind it I don't know. I was going to try and hide me drawing. It was stupid. I should have been in front of it. You always tend, as counterintuitive as it seems, you set up in front of something to break up your outline. But you feel naked. You, you feel, feel you do. You feel How completely exposed. exposed. Did you and and I literally, today. literally in this saddle, no, not even close. In this saddle, there's like 50 yards and there's one pine tree that's four foot tall. And you're behind. And it. I'm behind this goddamn thing. So I run over about 20 yards and I got all this on film guys I'm sorry I just haven't edited it up yeah. uh, but I run over like 20 yards cow call like crazy run back behind this tree so what does he do when he comes over he looks to where I had cow called mm-hmm. and shot him and killed him but typically what I do when I elk hunt and I don't have a lot of pictures because I generally miss <laughs> but uh, I mean I I don't care if he's got 30 cows I'll spot and stalk him. I don't care if it takes me four hours to go 50 yards. I'll spot and stalk him. And it's purely because that's what I'm comfortable with. Yep. And if you're comfortable sitting over water, sit over water. If you're comfortable with blind calling, blind call. If you're comfortable with still hunting, still hunt. But the whole purpose of this entire podcast is if you learn how to do each one of these, You'll be comfortable with it all. And when it comes time to use whatever is necessary, you'll be able to do it. And every situation is going to call for a different set of tools. And knowing how to do them all. And that's why I'm like going and hunting with Chris was, I was so grateful for that. Seriously. I I don't, I don't think you understand because like literally doing that, Chris, my wife killed her first bull elk ever doing that. I mean, it was a rifle, but it was like 70 yards, man. She just hammers this bull, you know, and, and yeah, I might've walked through there, but it would have been a heck of a lot faster. And it would have been like, well, if we see one running, start shooting, you know, I don't care. Like we all got tagged and see what happens. Right? Right, right. You know, but man, um, I, I really appreciate you guys. I know it's 2 AM in the morning. I appreciate you guys after it's two, it's 2 AM. <laughs> I appreciate you guys after packing Willie's 900 pound elk. It was the biggest body oh elk I have ever God. seen. After packing all that out in one trip, we guys, we did it in one trip. After- I, I only did part of it. Chris came and grabbed my Well, good for you guys. I did the whole damn thing. Dang and Willie it. did like one and a quarter and Chris did one and a quarter. So I was slacking. No, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. <laughs> I couldn't even pick your load up so. well i just it was just a little weight anyway uh but i i appreciate it guys you know yeah. it's it's super late and i think people are going to be able to get a lot from still hunting a lot from setting up blind and a lot from what you do when an elk is interested but doesn't want to come you know and then a lot from the time of year because i agree 100 i listen a lot to randy ulmer and he talks a lot. He's like, look, I've killed all my big bulls early in the season, and I spot and stalk them. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's what I do, <laughs> right? And he's like, if you want to have fun elk hunting, 
go the time of year they're calling and we'll call them. Yeah. If you want to kill big elk, you know, it's just something different. So I appreciate you guys all hopping in and uh, I'll put links to everyone's stuff in the comments below. And thank you guys for tuning in to the podcast. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Brian Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers.